Welcome to the Film Geek Collective. I'm George, a.k.a. Spike Green. And salutations, my fiendish film fanatics. It's your friend, the Cinemaster. Alrighty. Today's subject is going to be Cinema by Candlelight, and uh, the shout-outs will be done at the end of the episode. So let's get right into it, shall we? Alright, so Phantom of the Paradise is the first film we're going to do, and then we're going to do Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now, we called this episode Cinema by Candlelight because we saw Little Women, Phantom of the Paradise, and Rocky Horror Picture Show all in one day, and they all had candles. Yeah? That's right. But in case you're wondering, no, we're not going to be uh, talking about Little Women in this episode. If you're wondering which version, it was the 2019 one directed by Greta Gerwig. Hmm. It was a good period picture for uh, for the time it was made. Anyway, first up, Phantom of the Paradise, which was released in 1974. Honestly, this was my first time going into the movie, and I enjoyed it the whole freaking time. Yeah, definitely. By the way, this episode is going to be marked explicit, so do with that what you will. So yeah, Phantom of the Paradise came out the same year as Black Christmas, Coffee, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Young Frankenstein. And Blazing Saddles, you know? So, yeah. It, yeah? What are you going to say? Well, to be honest, I was going to say something, but I just completely forgot. Ah, right. I hate it when... Don't you fucking hate it when that happens? Of course I do. It's just fucking stupid. <laughs> so, Phantom of the Paradise was inspired by Brian De Palma listening to the Beatles A Day in the Life and getting sick of the commercialization and the tinny sound in the elevator. They should just stick to it, the girl with Ipanema. <laughs> but... Yeah, I get what you mean. But from one, as- from one different um, perspective, I would consider Phantom of the Paradise more of a pop version of Phantom of the Opera, which is actually based on the book. Okay, I didn't know it was based on a book. That's interesting. Well, it started out as a book and then got several different film adaptations. I My- thought it was the Andrew Lloyd Webber thing. Oh. But I also thought it was a Universal Monster before that. God. The Andrew Lloyd Webber version... And didn't start until 1986, and the, 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 and the uh, film version of it didn't came, come out until 2004. I myself prefer the much more uh, uh, obscure version, the 1943 version. Okay, uh, is Lon Chaney in it? Uh, or am I'm, I getting the wrong one? I'm, pre- I'm thinking it's either Lon Chaney Jr. or Claude Rains. I don't really remember. All right. So yeah, back to Phantom of the uh, Paradise. The film inspired Mr. Del Toro, whose first name I just can't pronounce, and I'm sorry. Hey, Guillermo Del Toro. That's his uh, full name, in case you're wondering. Yeah, not Benicio. <laughs> so yeah, we start out with the sleazy producer saying, you know, I, I want to do this with my stars, I want to do that, blah, blah, blah. And there's a nice L cut, which means the L... I'll describe the L cut first. Winslow is in the distance, like, singing. You can hear him behind the producer. And then it sort of cuts to a close-up of him singing at a louder volume. So an L cut is a variant of a split edit, like a film editing technique, where the audio from the previous scene will overlap the picture from the following scene. So, you know, the audio will cut after the picture and, and will just spill over, continue playing. You've really been brushing up on your film techniques, George. Oh, definitely. We call ourselves the Film Geek Collective for a reason. <laughs> so, yeah. To be fair, you're, uh, you're a geek and I'm more of a nerd. Well, I never really saw a difference between those two words. I thought they were just similes. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> the difference is one of them is cheesy and the other is just too pimp to be cool. <laughs> well, okay. So what would you call uh, supernova travelers, mm. com- Comic-Con travelers, geeks or nerds? Mm. I'd say a mix of both. Some 
And there's some geeks who can also be uber fans and some nerds who know lots of different history about a lot of obscure characters. Like the Condiment King. Okay. So let's not get too off track here. I think it's uh, quite an on-the-nose metaphor that the uh, record place in this film is known as Death Records, you know? And I couldn't believe the first time, you know, spoilers for both films, by the way. Um, I couldn't I couldn't just get my head around. There was an actual place called Sing Sing where, uh, where Winslow is sent to. Yeah, the lead character, um, Winslow Leach. Too bad he wasn't leeching off anyone else. <laughs> that was more Swan, who was the kind of the blonde guy, you know? But yeah, who was actually played by um, musician Paul Williams. Yeah, Paul Williams also did the Rainbow Connection for the Muppet movie. He yeah. wrote it. Something tells me he gave the lyrics off to Kermit and then he perfected it. Have you been fast asleep? No, I can't do it. I can't do a Kermit impression for shit. <laughs> yeah, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that there are some great things here, like a fast motion montage, like comical, of just the turning doors and Winslow being forced out by the two guards. That's that sort of thing. Yeah, it reminds me of the older silent film Modern Times with Charlie Chaplin. Oh, Charlie Chaplin, yeah. Wasn't he mentioned in Joker? Yeah, and to be honest, it's in that film. There was a screening of uh, Modern Times being held. Okay. I'm pretty sure Modern Times might be public domain. Correct me if I'm wrong. We'll find that out later on. Yeah, so there's one descriptive song as he's going toward the building that reminds me a bit of Randy Newman. Now, Randy Newman's amazing. He did the music for Toy Story for Monk. But it's before Winslow walks into the place where girls practice to sing for Swan. You know, I could probably do without the obviousness of the lyrics because of the real show don't tell, but it's fine, you know? It's there we meet... Uh, it's there... It's in that building that we're first introduced to uh, Jessica Harper, who, three years later, would actually appear in the 1977 cult classic, Suspiria. Yep, and she appears first at 15 minutes in this film, and her name in this film is Phoenix. So, yeah. Um, when, when Winslow's saying to Phoenix, uh, I just really liked this quote where he says, I would never let my personal desires affect my aesthetic judgment. <laughs> that was a pretty good quote. Uh, like, there's a parallel I saw to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in a way. Just a slight one, where one of the music producers tries to, tries to take Jessica Harper into a room against her will before the doors closed. It reminds me... But, uh, unlike Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface didn't sexually abuse his victims. He ate, he killed them and then ate them. Yeah, there's an, there's an undercurrent, unfortunately. It's like it was being, it's like it was prophetic. <clears throat> prosthetic no, forget it. Uh, it it's like it was kind of predicting you know that so much sexual harassment was going on in the music industry because it's all it's all in there they just don't give a shit that's what the 70s were sex drugs and but, rock but, and roll. but i hated that it was that because it's a very dark thing yeah true that is pretty true yeah so moving on um we got grace We've got a great use of low angles outside of buildings. The big inspirations here seem to be Faust and the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, George, you care to divulge on what Faust is exactly? All right, let's uh, do a quick search because I didn't brush up on Faust. It's a musical piece in the film itself, but he... Shit. Faust is like the protagonist of a legend that's German and a classic, and it's based on the... it's based on uh, a historical figure called jo- Johann George Faust. Yes, and apparently Faust actually sold his, d- his soul to the devil in order to gain unlimited knowledge. Yes. 
definitely. So yeah, there's a brief overview of Faust. I just kind of had to paraphrase with that. But yeah, hope that gives you a bit of background knowledge. And uh, like I said earlier, uh, The Phantom of the Opera was also another big inspiration for Phantom of the Paradise. Definitely, yeah. So uh, the, there was a bit of shaky camera in this film. I've, I've complained in the How to Film Action Movies before that you shouldn't really do shaky cam, but it worked in this film, it kind yeah, of, because it wasn't really shaky, it was yeah. just slightly. That's true, and this was at least four years before or the Steadicam technology was invented. Yeah, Steadicam would only really be introduced in stuff like Rocky and The Shining, mm. and there was, I think some, I'm not sure what do you call it, Steadicam, but there was really early technology for the Olympics, you know, where you see cameras dive with the divers and go underwater. Garrett Brown, inventor of the Steadicam, also invented those. Hang on a minute, I think that... The Steadicam technology was also used in Halloween as well. Yeah, quite well, possibly. Well, for the opening shots, back when Michael was still six years old. Yeah. I also like the two trademarks that Brian De Palma uses sometimes, like the split screens that he'd later use in Carrie. He's using split screens to build suspense, and you've got to choose where to look. And then his long takes, of course, which, yeah, he does some good long takes sometimes. Hmm. This one was uh, when the Juicy Fruits were performing up upholstery and uh, they kept just uh, driving through. They were getting the backup dancers to come into the place, you know. I don't think that was actually the Juicy Fruits. but It wasn't? I'm not sure. I thought it was. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, Phoenix is actually shown as the love interest of the film for Winslow, but... Is honestly getting messed and screwed over by not just Swan, but everyone else in her way. Even Winslow himself. But ultimately Winslow, well, the Phantom, ends up in a really sort of tragic love, you know? Just one of those tragedies. Not to mention how uh, Winslow became the Phantom is a pretty uh, gruesome way to go. Very gruesome, yeah. Well, I mean, the stylized way, not a realistic way. He gets his head crushed in a in a record thing, like something that plants records or something. Yeah, I'm not it, sure what you call it. I think it. it was a record press, actually. Yeah. Hey, you know how you take the vinyl and just uh, squash it down to get the, the music in it? Yeah, that. So, yeah, the Phantom has one of the most uh, memorable voices in cinema. I can't really do an Im- imitation of it. You'll have to sort of search it up, you know? Yeah, mostly because it was used with machines to create that sort of robotic voice. So he can't really sing unless he's plugged into a piano, but he can talk portably. So yeah, we have uh, we have some cool montages with the crossfading. Like you know, you can sort of see through something and see something else at the same time, or see something else on top of another scene, or you know. Hmm. That's true. And um, at one point, I actually mentioned when the um, the main antagonist of the movie, Swan, is trying to find someone to uh, recycle the Phantom's katana. Uh, one of the um, the music groups actually look like the Grady Twins from The Shining, all grown up. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I just thought, what the fuck, man? <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of what the fuck, uh, beef is basically a dated gay stereotype, but if it was made in 1974, we got to look past a few things. You know, obviously it's not good by today's standards, but with this character, there is a bright side. He's a pretty good rocker when he's not, like, screeching out the lyrics. Plus, I think he would be considered more of a, uh, a prototype for Dr. Frankenfurter, who would actually pop up one year later. Oh, yeah. We're going to cover the Rocky Horror Picture Show here, too. So, yeah. There's a hilarious psycho parody later in the film. Brian De Palma, one of his main influences is Alfred Hitchcock, where the Phantom tells him to stop singing, saying, anyone else who tries, dies. 
And of course, crash zoom into a brick wall when we, when we find out that someone's been just... Was it the Phantom himself that was been brick wall? Yeah, apparently after creating all that music, uh, Swans and his people tried to seal him up, but he just crashed out of that uh, wall with a massive screech, just like, ah! And if you don't know what a crash zoom is, it's one of those 70s zooms where it like zooms into something really quickly. Yeah, you'll see him in both these movies that we're talking about. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there yeah. were... Yeah. yeah. We also noticed uh, at one point in the movie there were a couple of um, <clears throat> kiss knockoffs, which I'm thinking that the band was called the Undeads, wasn't it? I actually I never got the name of the band actually, but yeah, definitely they appeared like Kiss just without the long tongues. Yeah, not to mention uh, knockoff face paints. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and te- they take someone's shirt, and I'm thinking, who is he, William Shatner? <laughs> yeah, but- I honestly don't know what you're talking about i don't know either what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we have a really fake looking severed head and limbs to the point where chris was like is this just part of the stage act in film and i'm like no it's meant to be gore but yeah yeah and i obviously (laughs) pointed out that they were just doing it for show with obviously the fake body parts i can even see the screw on a fake head Yeah, that, that head was definitely not screwed on right. Oh yeah, but it was meant to be real within the movie. That's how unconvincing it was. Yep. <laughs> One of my favorite songs in the film is "Life at Last." Salutation from the other side. Yeah. Not to mention, they're probably one of the best uh, kills of the movie. Which, to be fair, "Phantom of the Paradise" isn't considered a horror movie, but it's got a lot of kills in it. It's like a horror comedy. Yeah, probably one of Musical? my favorite. Probably one of my favorite deaths is actually what happens to Beef. He sort of the Phantom just sets up a, a neon lightning bolt, and then throws it down at Beef, and then boom, he, he just he's all smoke and dust. And he gets like electrocuted in this weird fashion. It's like he almost makes freeze frame movements just in rapid succession. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think that some films use that technique. Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah, at one point we get the classic silent film Iris out. You know where something appears in the circle and then the circle disappears in the black. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, well, after he gets electrocuted, Beef's dead. Wanna eat? I'm pretty sure, he, I'm pretty sure he's well done. <laughs> <laughs> Even the producer gets in on our black humor saying, sure, how often's a rock star fried on stage? <laughs> yeah, well, normally he, well, well, normally he'd be he fried in space. <coughs> normally he'd be fried in space. Oh, yeah. There's a bit of a redundant scene, like... When, you know, Jessica Harper, after Beef is killed, she sings Old Souls, which is like a song about love and all that. And then when she's kissing uh, Winslow, it plays again, the whole song. And I'm thinking they could have quickened up that sequence a bit, you know. Of course, yeah, I always like it in movies where we get spinning newspapers just announcing really obvious headlines. And that most of the time the article is just some real article that has nothing to do with it. (laughs) Not to mention the fact that just like Faust, Winslow... Oh, Swan and Phoenix have all signed their own contracts with the devil. This was a big twist in the movie. They had to sign with blood. Exactly. Ink meant uh, to Swan, ink meant nothing to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it turned out Swan was in this pact too. And so uh, Winslow had to go into this uh, room full of videotapes and, there, and some screens. Uh, which, uh, which was all the proof that was required of uh, the agreement. You can tell it's the 70s when videotapes are in wide use. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not I to miss mention, VHS. 
Not to mention when they have that little running text at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. In, in fact, you know what, what I noticed? Many songs in this film are foreshadowings of the story. Like, you know, Selling Your Soul to the Devil gets mentioned quite a few times before you get to see it. Uh, also, I noticed the abundance of red rooms. In abundance! Rocky Horror fans will get that. So, yeah. Also, when they try to assassinate the Phantom, you know, I'm think- I just think that guns are bad in real life, but they're cool in the movies. Actually, the gun wasn't and to assassinate to uh, uh, try to assassinate it was to assassinate Phantom. someone phoenix actually phoenix. but instead it ended up in uh, uh swan's right hand man philbin who got it who got uh, quite the uh just beautiful headshot headshot <laughs> yeah a very deadly headshot in fact boom dead yeah so next we're moving on to the rocky horror picture show Oh my god, where do we even start with this crazy 1975 Freak Fest? Same year as Jaws and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Peter Hinwood's only role, he plays Rocky Horror himself, and most credit the credits are at the start of the film, which I quite miss, you know, they only have two, three minute credits at the end because they do all the credits at the start. Or in the case of early movies, 30 seconds to one minute to sometimes, for earlier ones, none at all. Or maybe just the cast, like in The Sound of Music or The Graduate or something like that, you know? Yep. But yeah, Columbia in the film, the character Columbia, is named after the studio, even though the studio had no involvement. Yeah, so supposedly there are various studio Easter eggs that I may not have spotted. But also, 20th Century Fox for the pool show, the reason why you see the RKO logo is they would ban their logo from being built on the giant set, despite it being their film. And they had to build the RKO one instead. Fun fact, the RKO company actually was responsible for producing the 1951 film, The Thing from Another World. Which inspired John Carpenter's The Thing in 1982. Which we will get to sooner or later. Eventually, yeah, we were just planning out before we were recording. So, yeah. Dude, no need to tell them our plans. Our evil plans. We're going to take over the world. You're tearing me apart, George! (laughs) It's bullshit. I did not. And don't worry. One day or uh, sooner or later, we We will track down the room and we will review it. Oh, yeah, we will. Yeah, in this room, (laughs) which which you cannot see. We're audio only. Great medium awareness. Okay, so moving on, uh... Chris noticed this thing on his first watch. He hasn't seen Rocky Horror as much as I have, but he noticed. Uh, you want to say what you noticed? Yeah, I noticed that in the scene where um, Frank Inferno was bringing uh, Rocky to life, that the colors he was dripping into the into a container did um, match the rainbow. Well, rather, an upside-down one. And I did notice that on my first... Let's go. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Yep. And upside-down, it can... Off- and the... And an upside-down rainbow can often mean the symbol for um, homosexuality, I believe it was. Oh, yeah. And this film is full of, for its time, progressive LGBT stuff. But for now, it'd be really dated, you know? Yeah, I mean, this kind of stuff is like 45 years old. Literally. 45. We're recording this in 2020, so it's 45 years old. Well, that's the first time I've said that on a... Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Anyway... So we were we had the subtitles on because uh, we were doing like almost karaoke, not karaoke, but we were trying to remember all the lyrics. I remember more lyrics because I've seen it more often. This was, was my eighth time, and this is Chris's second time. But so this one of the subtitles for the dialogue says "wine intensifies," and I can just imagine 
cue the cue the hate fueled fanboys who are just complaining and being sexist and racist and shit. <laughs> oh. And one weird thing I noticed was that uh, Richard O'Brien's riffraff looked a lot like Bill Mosley's uh, Chop Top from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Another film which we will get to review sooner or later. Sooner or later, yeah, definitely. We did an episode already on the first uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But we didn't go into full detail. Later on, we'll do a proper version of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you can still listen to that episode to get the gist of it. Uh, So, yeah, in the 1970s, Greeks weren't uh, the only ones who were hairy. You know, when Frank says uh, steam in I Can Make You a Man, uh, Rocky's underwear... Golden underwear is a bit low, so you can actually see, like, a full-on close-up of his pubic hair. Dude, I think you had too much of a gross butt. Pull your knickers off! <laughs> yeah, he should have. But, yeah, there was, a. Uh, I like that. Oh, and let's not forget about one of the most memorable characters in the entire movie, Eddie. Played oh, by Meatloaf. Yeah. And uh, the crazy angles, like the, <clears throat> the fogged motorcycle window you see him through, or when he kicks the boot at the screen... Like, he yeah, kicks his boot. Yeah, but uh, that brings up the question. How long was Meatloaf stuck in the freezer for? As so long as he didn't go off? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's, and it, but eventually, but if, eventually, if Frank had to uh, uh, kill off, off, off Eddie, so he grabbed the pickaxe. Yeah. But he... Bu- uh, come on, me- uh, come on, Meatloaf. Why don't you pick on someone your own size? Because he's uh, bigger and tastier. Oh, I only asked you a question. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of uh, some of the colour scheme of this film, it generally is very colourful. Did I mention this film also looks quite good in uh, black and white, if you choose to view it that way? Hmm. Even if you just did a black and white opening, it's still, you know. Funny enough, a lot of the red and blue colour schemes used in Rocky Horror Picture Show reminded me a lot of... Oddly enough, a lot of the color schemes used in Suspiria. Oh, uh, yeah. Since, uh, since there were a lot of bright colors, mostly red, blue, or yellow, sometimes even green. I wouldn't say red or blue dominated the film. I just meant those scenes where where uh, Frankenfurter very... is trying to seduce Brad and Janet in shadow separately, and Brad's is blue and Janet's is red. Yeah, I, I thought it was more <coughs> of a pink. You know, blue for boy, pink for girl. Oh, okay. I always thought it was red. <laughs> but yeah. There are two or three crash zooms, which, as I explained earlier, are those really quick zooms into something, which you'll see a lot in the 70s. Honestly, I never thought that Frankenfurter could swing both ways, but I guess you've the girl in Swinger, baby. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I'd say Frankenfurter is either bisexual or pansexual. He's basically into anyone that can walk, (laughs) I reckon. But anyway, so the fact that even though it was kind of, like, a bit iffy, but the fact that they actually implied through Shadow, the fact that uh, Frankenfurter was having sex with Brad was quite daring for uh, the 1970s, considering how homophobic culture was, you know? That's true. And in some points, I also consider um, uh, the original 1931 Frankenstein, as well as the novel that the movie was based on, to be an inspiration and for some scenes in uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, definitely. For example, uh, Frankenfurter was obviously a joke on Dr. Victor Frankenstein, and Rocky Horror himself is a take on Frankenstein's monster, uh, hence why in one scene, uh, Riff Raff was just torturing him with a bunch of candles, the whole fire bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think Frankenstein's monster really was Rocky, although it's like, I guess, a more sexualized version, because it's all about the lust between the characters openly... You know, but yeah. Yeah. well, well, like, 
well, to be honest, as I guess Frank Inferno is a bit like Eminem. He'll fuck anything that moves. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that song. But also, yeah, I like the different transitions through different shapes. You know, like uh, at one at one point, there's a a key shapes transition almost, like where you'd put a key into. I don't know. But just various shapes that it transferred to the next scene, transition to the next scene. That's pretty cool. Hmm. Also, a bit of trivia. <coughs> when uh, Dr. Von Scott, I'll make a point of saying Von Scott, um, he's going through from the Zen room into uh, where Frankenfurter, Brad, Janet, etc. etc. are. They uh, actually forgot to build a door in the set. So that's why you see Dr. Von Scott crashing through the wall. Well, to be <laughs> fair, Dr. Uh, uh, to be fair, Von Scott was stuck in a wheelchair, and, and Frankenfurter just pulled him in with a magnet, so he just Kool-Aid himself through the wall like, oh yeah! We saw the hippie music. <laughs> Which I kind of thought was a bit of a joke on Benny Hill, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get it, but yeah. So here we have a, a completely fake-looking mutilation when uh, they literally take the tablecloth off of the table and reveal a dead meatloaf, it just looks so incredibly fake. It looks like a plastic doll. Uh, I think it's more of a fake... I think it's more of a fake evisceration rather than a fake mutilation. I mean, what 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 would you say is mutilation? I mean... I mean, you can see his guts for crying out loud. Yeah, you can see his guts, you can see half his face. Uh, and there's one thing I hate, it's your guts. Oh! <laughs> 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 Yeah, of course, we both love The Floor Show. I love The Floor Show. Um, but I also quite I also quite like the joke we came up with, which this is an explicit podcast, so we can say it. Um, so it's a sex reference. Um, you know, Rocky saying, the only thing I've come to trust. And Don't come just yet. Is an orgasmic rush of love. Oh, nasty. Rose to my world, keep me safe from my trouble and pain. I think we get the idea. <laughs> I just thought it was a funny joke I'd share. Yeah, one of the things <coughs> that George noticed was that the buoy that uh, Frankenfurter was on near the end of the movie... W- the boy. Uh, it's pronounced buoy. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, it's, pronou- uh, it's actually from the, uh, from the Titanic. Which I honestly found a little bit funny. The SS Titanic, foreshadowing the fact that he that he dies, I'd say. Yeah, not to mention the fact that we find out, out pretty much that in everyone in the in Frankenfurter's castle was actually from another planet in general. Oh, oh, called called Transsexual Transylvania. Yeah, planet Transsexual in the in the galaxy of Transylvania. Keep in mind the datedness of this work, though. Yeah, yeah, it's just one of the weirdest films ever. As for Frank's death, well, he eventually got zapped by a ray of antimatter, and a curtain fell on him. So I guess that's his curtain call. Eh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I still don't get that one actually. Mm. Oh, I get. Well, he had to come back for his uh, final bow. Oh yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. I mean, he should have left while it was still possible. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I'm still wondering how a curtain can actually call you. I mean, what? Does it just drape itself over the telephone? Oh, Frank! <laughs> that is an unlicensed imitation of Fred Flintstone. You're coming with me. Sorry, I got that joke from The Simpsons. <laughs> eh, don't worry. Anyway, I think that's all the time we have for today. That's, yeah, I think we've just uh, run out of notes. Uh, we're not doing any next times, we're not doing anything, so. Well, gotta go. Later, George.
All right, later. Now I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the shoutouts for you guys. All right, three, two, one. Here we go. All right, I'm gonna give the shoutouts to Real Sharks Podcast, aka Riri Shaku, Autistic in Melbourne, Tessie Cat, Elsie Cool, Ashley Northy, aka a hey, Ashley Slashy. Larry, 1937-26-21, Mary Amber, that Patrick guy, Heavenly Imagine, Rose Begali, and Nathan Seabolt. So, I'm going to finish off with one more thing. We need your voice, so you can change things for the better.